Chapter Three of the Story of Eclipses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Story of Eclipses by George Chambers. Chapter Three, The Sorrows and the Periodicity of Eclipses. To bring about an eclipse of the sun, two things must combine. One. The moon must be at or near one of its nodes, and two, this must be at a time when the moon is also in conjunction with the sun. Now the moon is in conjunction with the sun, equals new moon, twelve or thirteen times in a year, but the sun only passes through the nodes of the moon's orbit twice a year. Hence an eclipse of the sun does not and cannot occur at every new moon, but only occasionally. An exact coincidence of earth, moon, and sun in a straight line at a node is not necessary to ensure an eclipse of the sun. So long as the moon is within about 18.5 degrees of its node, with a latitude of not more than 1 degree 34 minutes, an eclipse may take place. If, however, the distance is less than 15.25 degrees, and the latitude is less than 1 degree 23 minutes, an eclipse must take place, though between these limits the occurrence of an eclipse is uncertain and depends on what are called the horizontal parallaxes and the apparent semi-diameters of the two bodies at the moment of conjunction, in other words, on the nearness or far-offness of the bodies in question. Another complication is introduced into these matters by reason of the fact that the nodes of the moon's orbit do not occupy a fixed position, but have an annual retrograde motion of about nineteen and a quarter degrees, in virtue of which a complete revolution of the nodes round the ecliptic is accomplished in eighteen years, two hundred and eighteen and seven eighths days, that is, eighteen point five nine nine seven years. The backward movement of the moon's nodes, combined with the apparent motion of the sun in the ecliptic, causes the moon, in its monthly course round the earth, to complete a revolution with respect to its nodes in a less time, 27.2 days, than it takes to get back to conjunction with the sun, 29.5 days. And a curious consequence, as we shall see directly, flows from these facts and from one other fact. The other fact is to the sun starting coincident with one of the moon's nodes, returns on the ecliptic to the same node in 346.6 days. The first named period of 27.2 days is called the nodical revolution of the moon, or draconic month. The other period of 29.5 days is called the synodical revolution of the moon. Now the curious consequence of these figures being what they are, is that 242 draconic months, 223 lunations, and nineteen returns of the sun to one and the same node of the moon's orbit are all accomplished in the same time within eleven hours. Thus, ignoring refinements of decimals, and here is a table, 242 times 27.2 days equals 6,585.36 days equals 18 years, 10 days, 8.5 hours. 223 times 29.5 days equals 6,585.32 days equals 18 years, 10 days, 7 and 3 quarters hours. 
19 times 346.6 days equals 6,585.78 days equals 18 years, 10 days, 18 and three quarters hours. The interpretation to be put upon these coincidences is this, that supposing sun and moon to start together from a node, they would, after the lapse of 6,585 days and a fraction, be found again together very near the same node. During the interval there would have been 223 new and full moons. The exact time required for 223 lunations is such that in the case supposed, the 223rd conjunction of the two bodies would happen a little before they reached the node. Their distance therefrom would be 28 minutes of arc. And the final fact is that eclipses recur in almost, though not quite, the same regular order every 6,585 and one-third days, or more exactly, 18 years, 10 days, 7 hours, 42 minutes. This is the celebrated Chaldean Saros, and was used by the ancients, and can still be used by the moderns, in the way of a pastime, for the prediction of eclipses alike of the sun and of the moon. At the end of a Saros period, starting from any date that may have been chosen, the moon will be in the same position with respect to the sun, nearly in the same part of the heavens, nearly in the same part of its orbit, and very nearly indeed at the same distance from its node, as at the day chosen for the terminus a quo of the Saros. But there are trifling discrepancies in the case, the difference of about eleven hours between 223 lunations, and nineteen returns of the sun to the moon's node is one, and these have an appreciable effect in disturbing not so much the sequence of the eclipses in the next following Saros, as their magnitude and visibility at given places on the earth's surface. Hence, a more accurate succession will be obtained by combining three Saros periods, making fifty-four years thirty-one days, while, best of all, to secure an almost perfect repetition of a series of eclipses will be a combination of forty-eight Saroses, making eight hundred and sixty-five years for the moon, and of about seventy Saroses, or more than twelve hundred years for the sun. These considerations are leading us rather too far afield. Let us return to a more simple condition of things. The practical use of the Saros in its most elementary conception is somewhat on this wise. Given eighteen or nineteen old almanacs ranging, say, from 1880 to 1898, how can we turn to account the information they afford us in order to obtain from them information respecting the eclipses, which will happen between 1899 and 1917? Nothing easier. Add 18 years, 10 days, 7 hours, 42 minutes, to the middle time of every eclipse which took place between 1880 and 1898, beginning, say, with the last of 1879, or the first of 1880, and we shall find what eclipses will happen in 1898 and the seventeen following years, as witnessed by way of example the following table. Moon, magnitude 0 0.17 1879, December 28th, 4 hours, 26 minutes p.m. Adding to that, 18 years, 
ten days seven hours forty two minutes we get magnitude zero point one six eighteen ninety eight january eighth twelve hours eight minutes a m error of saros by exact calculation civil time plus three minutes sun total eighteen eighty january eleventh ten hours forty eight minutes p m adding to that eighteen years ten days seven hours forty two minutes we get total eighteen ninety eight january twenty second six hours thirty minutes a m error of saros by exact calculation civil time minus one hour seven minutes moon magnitude total eighteen eighty june twenty second one hour fifty minutes p m adding to that eighteen years eleven days seven hours forty two minutes we get magnitude zero point nine three eighteen ninety eight july third nine hours thirty two minutes p m error of saros by exact calculation plus thirty five minutes sun magnitude annular eighteen eighty july seventh one hour thirty five minutes p m adding to that eighteen years eleven days seven hours forty two minutes we get magnitude annular eighteen ninety eight july eighteenth nine hours seventeen minutes p m error of sorrows by exact calculation plus one hour ten minutes sun magnitude zero point zero four eighteen eighty december second three hours eleven minutes a m civil time adding to that eighteen years eleven days seven hours forty two minutes we get magnitude zero point zero two eighteen ninety eight december thirteenth ten hours fifty three minutes a m error of saros by exact calculation minus one hour five minutes moon magnitude total eighteen eighty december sixteenth three hours thirty nine minutes p m adding to that eighteen years eleven days seven hours forty two minutes we get magnitude total eighteen ninety eight december twenty seventh eleven hours twenty one minutes p m error of sorrows by exact calculation minus thirteen minutes sun magnitude zero point seven one eighteen eighty december thirty first one hour forty five minutes p m adding to that eighteen years eleven days seven hours forty two minutes we get magnitude zero point seven two eighteen ninety nine january eleventh nine hours twenty seven minutes p m error of sorrows by exact calculation minus one hour eleven minutes there having been five recurrences of february twenty ninth between december eighteen seventy nine and january eighteen ninety nine five leap years having intervened we have to add an extra day to the saros period in the latter part of the above table
let us make another start and see what we can learn from the eclipses say of 1883 moon magnitude 0 0.8 1883 april 22nd 11 hours 39 minutes a.m adding 18 years 11 days 7 hours 42 minutes we get magnitude penumbral 1901 may 3rd 7 hours 21 minutes p.m error of sorrows by exact calculation plus 51 minutes sun magnitude total 1883 may 6th 9 hours 45 minutes p.m visible philippines adding 18 years 11 days 7 hours 42 minutes we get magnitude total 1901 may 18th 5 hours 27 minutes a.m error of sorrows by exact calculation civil time minus two minutes moon magnitude 0 0.28 1883 october 16th six hours 54 minutes a.m visible california adding 18 years 11 days 7 hours and 42 minutes we get magnitude 0 0.23 1901 october 27th two hours 36 minutes p.m error of sorrows by exact calculation minus 39 minutes sun magnitude annular 1883 october 30th 11 hours 37 minutes p.m visible northern japan adding 18 years 11 days 7 hours 42 minutes we get magnitude Anular, 1901, November 11th, 7 hours, 19 minutes, a.m. Error of sorrows by exact calculation, civil time, plus one minute. The foregoing does not by any means exhaust all that can be said respecting the sorrows, even on the popular side. If the sorrows comprised an exact number of days, each eclipse of a second sorrows series will be visible in the same regions of the earth as the corresponding eclipse in the previous series but since there is a surplus fraction of nearly one-third of a day each subsequent eclipse will be visible in another region of the earth which will be roughly a third of the earth's circumference in longitude backwards i e about one hundred and twenty degrees to the west because the earth itself will be turned on its axis one-third forwards after what has been said as to the sorrows and its use it might be supposed that a correct list of eclipses for 18.03 years would suffice for all ordinary purposes of eclipse prediction and that the sequence of eclipses at any future time might be ascertained by adding to some one eclipse which had already happened so many sorrows periods as might embrace the year's future whose eclipses it was desired to study this would be true in a sense but would not be literally and effectively true because corresponding eclipses do not recur exactly under the same conditions for there are small residual discrepancies in the times and circumstances affecting the real movements of the earth and moon and the apparent movement of the sun which in the lapse of years and centuries accumulate sufficiently to dislocate what otherwise would be exact coincidences thus an eclipse of the moon which in a d five sixty five was of six digits was in 583 of seven digits and in 601 nearly eight 
in 908 the eclipse became total and remained so for about 12 periods or until 1088 this eclipse continued to diminish until the beginning of the 15th century when it disappeared in 1413 let us now take the life of an eclipse of the sun one appeared at the north pole in june a d twelve ninety five and showed itself more and more towards the south at each subsequent period on august twenty seventh thirteen sixty seven it made its first appearance in the north of europe in fourteen thirty nine it was visible all over europe in sixteen o one being its nineteenth appearance it was central and annular in england on may fifth eighteen eighteen it was visible in london and again on may fifteenth eighteen thirty six its three next appearances were on may twenty sixth eighteen fifty four june sixth eighteen seventy two and june seventeenth eighteen ninety at its thirty ninth appearance on august tenth nineteen eighty the moon's shadow will have passed the equator and as the eclipse will take place nearly at midnight greenwich mean time the phenomenon will be invisible in europe africa and asia at every succeeding period the central line of the eclipse will lie more and more to the south until finally on september thirtieth twenty six sixty five which will be its seventy eighth appearance it will vanish at the south pole the operation of the sorrows effects which have been specified above may be noticed in some of the groups of eclipses which have been much in evidence as will appear from a subsequent chapter during the second half of the nineteenth century the following are two noteworthy sorrows groups of solar eclipses eighteen forty two july eighth eighteen sixty july eighteenth eighteen seventy eight july twenty ninth eighteen ninety six august ninth eighteen fifty august seventh eighteen sixty eight august seventeenth eighteen eighty six august twenty ninth nineteen o four september ninth if the curious reader will trace by means of the nautical almanac or some other almanac which deals with eclipses in adequate detail the geographical distribution of the foregoing eclipses on the earth's surface he will see that they fulfill the statement made on page twenty four ante that asaro's eclipse when it reappears does so in regions of the earth averaging one hundred and twenty degrees of longitude to the west of those in which it had on the last preceding occasion been seen and also that it gradually works northwards or southwards but a given sorrow's eclipse in its successive reappearances undergoes other transformations besides that of terrestrial longitude these are well set forth by professor newcomb since every successive recurrence of such an eclipse throws the conjunction twenty-eight minutes further to the west of the node the conjunction must in process of time take place so far back from the node that no eclipse will occur and the series will end for the same reason there must be a commencement to the series the first eclipse being east of the node a new eclipse thus entering will at first be a very small one but will be larger at every recurrence in each sorrows if it is an eclipse of the moon it will be total from its thirteenth until its thirty-sixth recurrence there will then be about thirteen partial eclipses each of which will be smaller than the last when they will fail entirely the conjunction taking place so far from the node that the moon does not touch the earth's shadow 
the whole interval of time over which a series of lunar eclipses thus extend will be about 48 periods, or 865 years. When a series of solar eclipses begins, the penumbra of the first will just graze the earth not far from one of the poles. There will then be, on the average, 11 or 12 partial eclipses of the sun, each larger than the preceding one, occurring at regular intervals of one sorrows. Then the central line, whether it be that of a total or annular eclipse, will begin to touch the earth, and we shall have a series of forty or fifty central eclipses. The central line will strike near one pole in the first part of the series, in the equatorial regions about the middle of the series, and will leave the earth by the other pole at the end. Ten or twelve partial eclipses will follow, and this particular series will cease. These facts deserve to be expanded a little. We have seen that all eclipses may be grouped into a series, and that eighteen years or thereabouts is the duration of each series, or Saros cycle. But these cycles are themselves subject to cycles, so that the Saros itself passes through a cycle of about sixty-four Saroses before the conditions under which any given start was made come quite round again. Sixty-four times eighteen makes one thousand one hundred and fifty-two so that the duration of a solar eclipse great cycle may be taken at about 1,150 years. The progression of such a series across the face of the earth is thus described by Mrs. Todd, who gives a very clear account of the matter. The advent of a slight partial eclipse near either pole of the earth will herald the beginning of a new series. At each succeeding return, conformably to the sorrows, the partial eclipse will move a little further towards the opposite pole, its magnitude gradually increasing for about 200 years. But during all this time only the lunar penumbra will impinge upon the earth. But when the true shadow begins to touch, the obscuration will have become annular or total near the pole where it first appeared. The eclipse has now acquired a track, which will cross the earth slightly farther from that pole every time it returns, for about 750 years. At the conclusion of this interval, the shadow path will have reached the opposite pole. The eclipse will then become partial again, and continue to grow smaller and smaller for about 200 years additional. The series then ceases to exist, its entire duration having been about 1,150 years. The series of great eclipses, of which two occurred in 1865 and 1883, while others will happen in 1901, 1919, 1937, 1955, and again 1973, affords an excellent instance of the northward progression of eclipse tracks. And another series, with totality nearly as great, 1850, 1868, 1886, 1904, and 1922, is progressing slowly southwards. The word digit formerly used in conjunction with eclipses, requires some explanation. The origin of the word is obvious enough, coming as it does from the Latin digitus, a finger. But as human beings have only eight fingers and two thumbs, it is by no means clear how the word came to be used for twelfths of the disk of the sun or moon instead of tenths. However, such was the case. And when a sixteenth-century astronomer spoke of an eclipse of six digits, he meant that one half of the luminary in question, be it sun or moon, was covered. The earliest use of the word digit in this connection was to refer 
to the twelfth part of the visible surface of the sun or moon but before the word went out of use it came to be applied to twelfths of the visible diameter of the disk of the sun or moon which was much more convenient however the word is now almost obsolete in both senses and partial eclipses alike of the sun and of the moon are defined in decimal parts of the diameter of the luminary tenths or hundredths according to the amount of precision which is aimed at where an eclipse of the moon is described as being of more than twelve digits or more than one point o equals one diameter it is to be understood that the eclipse will be or was not only total but that the moon will be or was immersed in the earth's shadow with a more or less considerable extent of shadow encompassing it there are some further matters which require to be mentioned connected with the periodicity of eclipses to use a phrase which is often employed there is such a thing as an eclipse season and what this is can only be adequately comprehended by looking through a catalogue of eclipses for a number of years arranged in tabular form and by collating the months or groups of months in which batches of eclipses occur this is not an obvious matter to the casual purchaser of an almanac who feeling just a slight interest in the eclipses of a coming year dips into his new purchase to see what those eclipses will be a haphazard glance at the almanacs of even two or three successive years will probably fail to bring home to him the idea that each year has its own eclipse season in which eclipses may occur and that eclipses are not to be looked for save at two special epochs which last about a month each and which are separated from one another and from the eclipse season of the previous and the following years by intervals of about six months within a few days more or less such however is the case a little thought will soon make it clear why such should be the case we have already seen that the moon's orbit like that of every other planetary member of the solar system has two crossing places with respect to the elliptic which are called nodes we know also that the apparent motion of the sun causes that body to traverse the whole of the ecliptic in the course of the year the conjoint result of all this is that the moon passes through a node twice in every lunar month of twenty-seven days and the sun passes apparently through a node twice in every year the first ultimate result of these facts is that eclipses can only take place at or near the nodal passages of the moon and the sun and that as the sun's nodal passages are separated by six months in every case the average interval between each set of eclipses if there is more than one must in all cases be six months more or less by a few days dependent upon the latitude and longitude of the moon at or about the time of its conjunction or opposition under the circumstances already detailed if the logic of this commends itself to the reader's mind he will see at once why eclipses or groups of eclipses must be separated by intervals of about half an ordinary year hence it comes about that taking one year with another it may be said that we shall always have a couple of principal eclipses with an interval of half a year say 183 days between each and that on either side of these dominant eclipses there will or may be a fortnight before or fortnight after two other pairs of eclipses with in occasional years one extra thrown in it is in this way that we obtain what has already been said dogmatically that we do obtain 
namely, always in one year two eclipses, which must both be of the sun, or any number of eclipses up to seven, which number will be unequally allotted to the sun or to the moon according to circumstances. Though it is roughly correct to say that the two eclipse seasons of every year run to about a month each, in length, yet it may be desirable to be a little more precise, and to say that the limits of time for solar eclipses cover thirty-six days, namely eighteen days before and eighteen days after the sun's nodal passages, whilst in the case of the moon the limits are the lesser intervals of twenty-three days, being eleven and a half on either side of the moon's nodal passages. We have already seen that the moon's nodes are perpetually undergoing a change of place. Were it not so, eclipses of the sun and moon would always happen year after year in the same pair of months for us on the earth. But the operative effect of the shifting of the nodes is to displace backwards the eclipse seasons by about twenty days. For instance, in 1899 the eclipse seasons fall in June and December. The middle of the eclipse seasons for the next succeeding twenty or thirty years will be found by taking the dates of June 8th and December 2nd, 1899, and working the months backwards by the amount of nineteen and two-thirds days for each succeeding year. Thus the eclipse seasons in 1900 will fall in the months of May and November. Accordingly, amongst the eclipses of that year, we shall find eclipses on May 28th, June 13th, and November 22nd. Perhaps it would tend to the more complete elucidation of the facts stated in the last half-dozen pages, if I were to set out in a tabular form all the eclipses of a succession, say a half of a saros or nine years, and thus exhibit by an appeal to the eye directly the grouping of eclipse seasons, the principles of which I have been endeavouring to define and explain in words. And here follows a table, with this explanation. The epochs in the last column, which are marked with stars, star or double star, as the case may be, represent corresponding nodes, so that from any one singular star date to the next nearest single star date means an interval of one year less, on an average, the nineteen and two-thirds days spoken of on page 32. A glance at each successive pair of dates will quickly disclose the periodical retrogression of the eclipse epochs. And then reading the table. 1894, March 21st, Lunar, April 6th, Solar, Epoch, March 29th, Star. September 15th, Lunar, September 29th, Solar, Epoch, September 22nd, Double Star. 1895. March 11th, lunar, March 26th, solar, epoch, March 18th, star. August 20th, solar, September 4th, lunar, September 18th, solar, epoch, September 4th, double star. 1896. February 13th, solar, February 28th, lunar, epoch, February 20th, star. August 9th, solar, August 23rd, lunar, epoch, August 16th, double star. 1897, February 1st, solar, 
Epic. February 1st, Star. July 29th, Solar. Epic. July 29th, Double Star. 1898. January 7th, Lunar. January 22nd, Solar. Epic. January 14th, Star. July 3rd, Lunar. July 18th, Solar. Epic. July 10th, Double Star. December 13th, Solar. December 27th, Lunar. And 1889, January 11th, Solar. Epic. December 27th, Star. Continuing 1899, June 8th, Solar. June 23rd, Lunar. Epic. June 15th, Double Star. December 2nd, Solar. December 16th, Lunar. Epic. December 9th, Star. 1900. May 28th, Solar. June 13th, Lunar. Epic. June 5th, Double Star. November 22nd, Solar. Epic. November 22nd, Star. 1901. May 3rd, Lunar. May 18th, Solar. Epic. May 10th, Double Star. October 27th, Lunar. November 11th, Solar. Epic. November 3rd, Star. 1902. April 8th, Solar. April 22nd, Lunar. May 7th, Solar. Epic. April 22nd, Double Star. And October 17th, Lunar. October 31st, Solar. Epic. October 24th, Star. End of Chapter 3